Hello over there on the other side of the pond. This is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. As you may know, the name of this show is From Across the Pond, so named because we put the show together on the east coast of the United States. Uh, Shane and I are both products of Eastern University. Uh, We put this show together at uh, Cabrini University. Cabrini and Eastern are two Christian universities across the road from each other. And uh, we're here every week at this time to promote social justice under the name of, are you ready for this? Red Letter Christians. Go to your website. Go to the website of redletterchristians.org. Find out about this movement, uh, an attempt to get people around the world to take Jesus seriously, to go to the red letters of the Bible and uh, see what Jesus says. Uh, You may know on the United Kingdom that here in the United States, huge numbers of Bibles have the words of Jesus highlighted in red letters, and that's why we call it the Red Letter Christians Movement. Today we have a guest, a very, very unique and special guest, Wes Gramberg Michelson. Once head of the uh, Reformed Church of America, was their executive secretary for several years, uh, now freelancing around. Uh, He's part of the Reclaiming Jesus movement. He's a hot speaker and a good guy all around. Welcome to the show, Wes. Thank you very much, Tony. It's just great to be with you, and uh, I I so admire uh, the movement of Red Letter Christians. You're right on target. Tell us about what you're doing these days. Well, Tony, I have uh, recently finished a book called Future Faith, Ten Challenges Reshaping Christianity in the 21st Century. And uh, what I'm trying to say is that Christianity has moved out of the comfortable Western white culture that has shaped it for 400 years, which you folks there in England have been part of, as we have here in the United States. And it has now become a non-Western religion. The major growth in Christianity is happening in Africa, where now one out of every four Christians in the world is an African. It's happening in Latin America, and it's happening in Asia. For the first time in a thousand years, in the year 1980, more Christians lived in the global south than in the global north, and now that is accelerating even as we speak. And so I'm trying to say, what does it mean for those of us who are in the West, who are in the United States, who are in the United Kingdom, who are in Western Europe, what does it mean for our faith to know that the future of faith is being driven in the non-Western world? And what does it mean for how we understand uh, the issues that we deal with, including the issues of God's justice for the world? I've read your book. Give us the title again. Future Faith. It's an incredibly well-written book, and it has information that blew my mind. You know, uh, when they cut off uh, Samson's hair, and this upsets me being bald, when he (laughs) lost his hair, he lost his power. I I know what that's like. (laughs) (laughs) The Philistines come in to beat him up, and, and, and the Bible says, and he wished not that the Spirit had departed from him. Yeah. I almost feel that that's a good verse for America. We act like the United States Mm. of America uh, dominates the world scene when it comes to Christianity, 
And it's uh, according to your book, and I think you're right. We wish not that the power of the Spirit has departed from us and is lying in developing countries. Uh, give us some more information uh, about uh, the way things have changed in the last 25 years. Your book does it so well, so you ought to be able to do it pretty well on this show. Well, I hope so, Tony. Uh, there are lots of examples. Um, I like to say that uh, the uh, growth of uh, Christianity in the global south is now really forcing us to rethink central questions. For instance, the relationship of the individual in community. We take for granted in Western culture, maybe even more so in the United States, but I think also in the United Kingdom, that the individual comes first. You know, everything revolves around uh, what I want to do. And, and, and church is often shaped in the same way. But in fact, uh, in the global south, um, there's, there's a much more of a tendency to start with community, with me. I, you know, my wife Karen and I, years ago, we were part of the Sojourners community when it was starting up, uh, the community that Shane and Tony know well. And um, we were trying to figure out how do you be a radical community, uh, same kind of thing that Shane, that you're doing, and it's hard work. But uh, we had a book that I remember by Jean Vanier, this great author, called Community and Growth. And he had one sentence that said, there have to be more people who say, me for the community, than people who say, the community for me. Mm in order for any Christian community, any church to thrive. And when I was General Secretary of the Reformed Church in America for 17 years, I thought about that all the time. Yet so many people saying, it's me, uh, you know, it's the church for yeah. me, rather than me for the church. And, and don't we, uh, when we preach the salvation story, when we preach the gospel, it, it too often in the American church, especially the white American church. Uh, there's a tendency to say that the gospel is about getting individuals into heaven, period. And so uh, we, we make Christianity into something that gives people a ticket to get into heaven when they die. And what you are trying to do in your book, and what I think all of us are trying to do uh, who are in the Red Letter Christian movement, is saying it's, it's about getting people saved so that they can go to heaven when they die. But the major emphasis is to create a community of people who are going to work to change this world from what it is into what God wants it to be. So that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we emphasize on earth, we want the kingdom to come on earth. And you've done that so well. This book is about that. Tell us more about what you're saying in the book. Well, Tony and Shane, um, I'm, I'm, I'm also saying that uh, we've got to de-Americanize the gospel. And I think that'll probably sound good to some of our friends in the United Kingdom. Uh, but one of the, when I travel around, and I'm with Christians in Africa, in, with Christians in uh, Asia, um, the first question they ask me is not, uh, uh, what do you think President Trump's going to do? I mean, they, they've, they, you know, they've got this guy figured out. What they ask is, what is happening to the church in the United States? And why aren't we hearing a faithful witness from the church? 
And, and this is from evangelicals. Uh, you know, I mean, the, this is from the people who, who, uh, who, who put that priority on Jesus Christ first. And, uh, and we have those within the U.S. that have gained such prominence in the media that have a version of the uh, gospel that's wrapped in the American flag. And, and when those people then support our current president, it becomes disastrous for the way faith is viewed around the world. And so uh, that uh, brings one of the other priorities. It's one of the ten challenges I talk about is de-Americanizing the gospel uh, and, and understanding that the, the, the gospel comes into every culture, every place with freshness and with truth and that you can't let any culture, including especially the American culture, capture the gospel and make it just its handmaiden. And that is too often what we've, what, what we've done. So that's, a, mm. that's another point uh, that I try to stress, Tony, uh, in the book. And, and, and with it, I'll, I'll, I'll say one more that'll be of interest to our English friends. Um, we've got a, we've got to recognize that we we need to start by seeing the earth as a sacred place, the, the the sacredness and the goodness of God's creation. This is something that Shane, you and uh, and Tony have also been preaching for years. But I don't think we recognize how deep uh, we've divided the spirit from matter, the way we've emptied the world of spiritual significance. And I want to tell you, a lot of this happened at the Westminster Abbey. Mm. The Westminster Confession, every Presbyterian knows, written from 1639 to, six, to 1634-1639, the Westminster Assembly, get this, met 1,147 times in Westminster Abbey. And they framed, the Puritans, they framed um, the Westminster Confession and these documents that have shaped this part of faith. And they also wrote the Directory for Worship. And the Westminster Directory for Worship says, and I'm quoting this, as no place is capable of any holiness. Mm. So they emptied, emptied the physical mm. world out of any sense of, of God's sacredness of that sounds of, like heresy. Of value that it is to creation and that and when you look at climate change today and you say how did we get in this mess part of how we got in this mess is that we 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 bought this line that you know uh, the, the the world earth is just that and you know like you said Tony we're just going to heaven and so don't worry about what's happening to this world and the um, effect of parts of um, the Reformation, and especially those branches that came out of Westminster, combined with the effect of the Enlightenment that gave us this secularized worldview, that is part at the heart of what has gotten into this terrible dilemma, this terrible tragedy we face around climate change, and why uh, I, I think Christians have to respond by going back and getting the Bible right and getting their theology right and seeing and seeing the gift of God's creation that, 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 that we hold entrusted to us. So hey, he, that, that's another point of emphasis, Tony. Yeah. If you're wondering who this intelligent person that we're interviewing is, it's uh, Wes Granberg Michelson. 
formerly an executive for the Reformed Church of America, uh, more recently a freelancer speaking and writing, and he has a new book out. Give us the title again. Future Faith. Future Faith. It's a great book. Christianity I, in the 21st century. You know, I get books sent to me all the time, and I, I seldom read them. But I got to tell you, I read this book, and I've underlined it and underlined it and underlined it. It has so much good information in it. Uh, I do have to say that he's talking about environmentalism right now, about environmentalism. In the eighth chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes this: these words, all of creation is groaning, is in travail, is suffering, waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for the sons and the daughters of God to reclaim it, to restore it, to bring it back. Salvation is not just about salvation of individuals, not only salvation for society, but salvation for the planet Earth. Uh, God so loved, here's the word, God so loved the world. The word world in John 3.16 is the word cosmos. That means the Greek word says it's people, it's community, it's the Earth itself, it's the environment. And uh, Wes's book, picks this up brilliantly. Uh, we've been talking to Wes Granberg Michelson. That's been our guest today. Shane, did you want to? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, one of the, my, my questions, Wes, is as, as you, you look at the state of the church around the world, um, a lot of what we see has been reactionary, reacting to the, uh, you know, the colonization of Christianity by uh, white uh, American nationalism and things like that, the, the, the damage that we've done by co-opting um, uh, the gospel with uh, 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 patriotism and, the, and and things like that, but and so a lot of like what I've been a part of is youthful movements that have left some of that, and it, but they've spent a lot of time deconstructing things that this new generation hasn't even constructed, you know. And so there's a lot of language of wanting Jesus but not the church, to you know, being spiritual but not religious, uh, and and. Uh, I kind of wonder uh, where, how you see that around the world. Like uh, there, there's with with the you know sex scandals in the Catholic Church. I mean, all kinds of damage being done by white evangelicals to the reputation of Christianity in America. Um, where do you see the the church, the institutional church, even kind of flourishing right now? And what what is the hope for it? Well, that's uh, a great question, Shane, and I think you've put it very well. I'm going to say two things. First, uh, I see as I travel uh, the church flourishing in those instances where it's really rooted in grassroots community and and growing uh, in its own context. I'm going to give you two examples from Africa. <clears throat> One is uh, the the African instituted churches. Now listen to this. These are the churches that were established by Africans for Africans in Africa, <clears throat> not established by uh, foreign missionary denominations. And some of these have really grown and become large and now have um, their, their congregations going all over the world. You take the redeemed Christian Church of God, for instance, uh, which is in Nigeria, become a huge denomination that now has congregations throughout the United States. They built a worship pavilion outside of Houston, Texas for $13.5 million. And this is, a, this is a church that's sprung up out of the soil of Africa. Mm. Um, or you go 
to Pentecostal communities. Our vision of Pentecostal communities is these rich pastors that fly around in jets and talk about prosperity gospel, but they're the only ones who are prosperous. Well, a, <laughs> a, a lot of Pentecostal communities that I visit are on the margins of society, in barrios, and in, um, in, in places that, uh, where they've been, they've been thrown out and, and neglected by the societies and by their government. But they grow up as communities that give people a sense of empowerment and self-worth and that have a concrete social dimension in their particular place. These are the kinds of places where I see real hope and real growth, mm. uh, yeah. places that are detached from the uh, tradition of, uh, of colonialism that you, that, that you name. And I also see one other thing, Shane. Um, we are now dealing with a generation of uh, people whose their approach to religion is that they want to belong before they believe. Yeah. They want to belong before they believe. They want to be part of a community and then figure out their faith. And um, the best example that I found to describe this is, uh, is a question, how do you herd cattle in Australia? Well, there, there are two ways of herding cattle in Australia. You can try to build a fence all the way around the area where you want your cattle to be kept in. Or you can dig a well. You can dig a well. That's yeah. good. And that describes the two ways of thinking about the church. We have this conception of the church where it's this group that's surrounded by barbed wire, you know, and you're either in or out. And you got to believe and then you belong. Yeah. And I think we got to think about how we reverse that. That's great. Yeah, that's how, great. how people belong first and they're drawn to living water. But don't worry about these boundaries and don't worry about these fences. Have, a, have the community be shaped and formed by the living water. All right. That Preach, also that preaches. We got, yeah, we got a radio show and a sermon out of yeah, this. Yeah, let me just <laughs> say, uh, when he, he used that line uh, that you, he sees operative in the developing world, you've got to belong. People want to belong before they believe. Mm. Uh, it's, it, the verse that came to me is out of the book of Acts. Uh, where uh, it says, here's a quote from the book of Acts, and there was added to the church those who should be saved. Namely, they became part of a church before they encountered the essence of salvation. Mm -hmm. God mm -hmm. added to the church such as should be saved. Yeah. It picks up this theme that you have articulated just a moment ago, Wes, belonging leading to believing. Well, we, we see we see a lot of really beautiful signs within the church, too. I think, you know, Michael Curry speaking at the royal wedding and the partnership with him and, you know, uh, Archbishop Justin Welby. I think we I mean, what a beautiful yep. thing that our presiding bishop, you know, of the Episcopal Church is African-American. We have got like a, a Argentinian pope. I mean, there's a lot of shaking up of the patriarchy and the former uh, white, uh, you know, kind the of Anglo, a, the, the Anglo the control church. of yeah. the church. Yes. But it, it okay. also, you, you just mentioned this Argentinian who's a Pope. When people ask me, uh, well, how do you see or understand this voice of the church in the global South? You know, where do we see it? Well, my goodness, Pope Francis is the first Pope in a thousand years, a thousand years who has come from the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. And what he is saying, 
for instance, on creation in, in that marvelous encyclical, um, what he's saying on the issues of justice and the poor, yeah. uh, what, what, what he's saying on human rights, what he's saying on issues of war and violence, um, this, frankly, th- these are the same kinds of things I hear from my Methodist and my Latin America, you know, and my, and my uh, Lutheran and my Baptist friends in Latin America and yeah. in Africa. You know, he, he, you have to understand uh, this is a pope who is speaking the voice of the church in the global south, and not just the Catholic Church. But so it it also feels like we we've got we still got some things being redeemed. We we're still talking about a lot of dudes, right? <laughs> like there's yep. a lot of yep. but there's still the patriarchal side of that, even as we see the church growing and in, uh, internationally and in, in communities of color and things like that. But where what do you feel like are some of those things that you still are praying and hoping to be redeemed, or you know, when you think of women in leadership in the global church, where do you see signs of hope? Yeah. And and may I say, we've used the word misogamy uh, on this show often, uh, and sometimes people don't know what that word means. It means men who control things and may make things hard on women. So we need to define words from time to time. But could you pick up that theme? Absolutely, and and this is a. I think this is a global challenge. You've got examples of the church and the global south that are extremely patriarchal. Extremely. Extreme. And you've got examples of the church and the global south that are very affirming and empowering of women. Um, Both. And, 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 and you, you know, there are examples of, of, um, of, of women leaders from the church and the global south. So it's, you, you know, You've got these cultural issues that get ingrained and get put into practice of faith that we've had in Western white culture, but it's not like the church in the global south doesn't have their own cultural issues. Right, right. And their own problems. There's, there's no way that, you know, I'm not, I'm, I think the hope of the church in the world is now being seen much more outside of the West rather than from the West. But I also don't think that you know, the church in the global south is free from its own problems and challenges, not, not, not in any way. But, uh, but I think the growth that's happening there, especially at grassroots levels, is something that uh, is really going to be shaping what, futurity, what, what, what Christianity will look like in the future. And, um, and, and one of those issues is going to be how do we exercise leadership and how do we share leadership. Uh, I would like you to comment just briefly. We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, not only do I worry about patriarchy, but I also worry about a prosperity theology. When I look at the African churches, I I see a lot of, and Latin America as well, a lot of prosperity theology uh, being dynamic and uh, people being misled by that. Could you comment on that? I agree, Tony. I've seen that as well and talked often with my uh, with, with my friends, for instance, in Africa, and and uh, I, I can say two things. One is that, um, you know, there's, there are versions of prosperity gospel, and then there are versions of prosperity gospel. There, there are some, I think, people whom you'd have to say they really seem like they're charlatans, and, and you have to name what's, what, what the truth is. But you have to also understand, my Pentecostal friends will say to me, you know, you have to understand the context that people are yearning for a sense of how God can touch their lives in real, tangible ways. They, they're, they're looking, 
they're looking for experience of faith that's not just in the you know spiritual realm detached, but that's touching them in their yes in, in the real places yeah. of their faith. And that okay, so let's understand that. But then let's also see the critiques of prosperity gospel that come from within voices of the global That's South. a good word. Because they are there. Because they are they those critiques are also very much there, including in the Pentecostal world. Many Pentecostal mm. friends who, uh, uh, for instance, it, if you, you want to look at a, at a at a really well-known Pentecostal theologian, Wan Sak Ma, who uh, is Korean and who now is at Oral Roberts University, and he writes a brilliant critique of the prosperity gospel. Well, that's great. That's a great, and we we've got a we've got to land there. Uh, we we've been uh, talking with. Uh, Wes Granberg Michelson, uh, dear friend, incredible voice in the church today. And this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. Um, as we think of the, the prayer of Jesus, we're praying this day our daily bread, uh, that po- folks would have all that they need and that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. So what a great conversation. Thanks, Wes, and thanks for everybody that's joined us. You can find more on our website, redletterchristians.org. One of the interesting things that you can see, too, is a page of people, of voices all over the country and all over the world that are speaking the gospel of Jesus and connecting it to justice. So thanks for joining us. Go to our website and join us next week at this time. We'll see you then.